Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God, and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. My sister's birthday is tomorrow. Uh, happy birthday. She's not watching. Six days, six days before Christmas. Kind of a, it's a bit of a ripoff for her, right? Uh, one of my best friends out west uh, had his birthday on on. December 25th. I don't know if you are familiar with that date, but I always felt a little sorry for it. I don't suppose, does anybody have a birthday near Christmas within a day? Ah, my condolences to all. <laughs> it's tricky, right? We're supposed to, it's supposed to be a time where we get a little solo attention, but everyone seems kind of wrapped up in someone else's birthday. Uh, as a parent of twins, uh, we used to read this advice, you know, to make, you got to make each twin feel special and not feel like they're always sharing birthday parties, experiences, you know, not always making a two-for-one deal. But, but some of you have to share a birthday with the Savior of the world. And uh, by the way, I hope I'm not uh, shattering anyone's long-held beliefs um, but we don't know with certainty that December 25th is Jesus' actual birth date. I won't get into the church history or anything, but it's the day we landed on to acknowledge the most important birth of all time. And for those who share a birthday around the same time as Jesus, um, maybe the disappointment is that there's not enough celebration to go around like there's not enough uh, goodwill or time or money to celebrate both things fully. And it, it's like we have this sort of finite amount of celebration, a cap on joy, and it has to be sort of evenly distributed at Christmas. If you're, if you're young this morning, I'm looking at Forge, uh, you'll find that the older you get, the less birthdays have to be acknowledged in a big way. It's, um, thank you, Pastor Scrooge, by the way. It, it's more like it's, it becomes a reminder of our mortality. <laughs> and I, I did hear about this little girl who visited her grandmother on her birthday, and she asked her grandmother how old she was, and grandmother said, honey, when you're my age, you, you don't tell anybody how old you are. And so the little girl, she snuck it upstairs to her, her grandmother's bedroom, went through her purse, found her driver's license, and the grandmother came up and caught this little girl red-handed. She said, what are you doing? And the little girl said, I found out how old you are, grandma. And the grandma said, okay, what does it say? And the little girl did some math in her head, and she said, Graham, it says you're 76 years old. And the woman said, that's right, I, I am 76 years old. And then the little girl looked down at the license and said, and Grandma, I won't tell anybody 
but it says you got an F in sex. And I'm sorry you guys had to hear that joke. Uh, So if you feel the older you get, the less special your birthdays are, perhaps you have even some muted feelings about Christmas the older you get. I've been struggling with that. We've been in this series for the last few weeks around, well, he called it Christmas presents. And maybe you've seen it a bit as a, uh, as a feel-bad Christmas series, as we talk a bit or are confronted with our own hurriedness, our own distraction uh, around technology and addiction and Christmas season can be chaos, quite frankly. We are fighting uphill against our culture's call to consume, to have clutter around Christmas. It's it's like this drama has proposed. Doesn't it feel like something's missing? Advent itself was meant to be a four-week period of time set aside for, for prayer and focus and preparation to help us just slow down, savor the Savior's birth so that we can worship the the word made flesh. That's the second part of what Don read this morning. And we want to do that with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength. It's It's like getting ready ourselves for something really big. It's remembering Jesus' first coming, and even preparing in a way for his second coming. Let every heart prepare him room. Joy to the world. The Lord has come, and he is coming again. Somebody say amen to that. So we want the beauty of Jesus to shine bright in the busyness of our lives, and, and that can only happen when we slow down. The the basic idea of this month was we want to take back the story of the Savior's birth as we fight against consumerism that's stolen the soul of Christmas. We want to substitute consumption with compassion. We want to substitute the obsession with presence, T, with more of a relational presence, C not only with uh, our friends and family who we love, but, but most of all with a God who so desires intimacy with us. So, lest you think the last three weeks was an exercise in, in me being uh, Pastor Killjoy, uh, Reverend Wet Blanket, uh, giving us more things to feel convicted about, guilty about, having to unhurry, undistract, unplug. I want you to know it's all been leading up to this, to today. We want to be unhurried, undistracted, unplugged, so that we can be unabashed, unabashed in our celebration, unabashed in our worship, unabashed in our enjoyment of God and others this season, unabashed in our generosity, and unabashed in, as Paul says, living the life that is truly life. One of the uh, 
inspirations uh, for this month-long series was not only the book by John Mark Comer, but also this movement of churches um, for well over a decade now that have, have joined in this thing called the Advent Conspiracy. Raise your hand if you've heard of that, that movement of churches, yeah. And the thinking behind this is that we ought to be, in a sense, um, conspiring against our, this cultural tendency to worship consumerism uh, and instead to turn our hearts towards Christ. So, so we're conspiring to reclaim Christmas from the agenda of society, you could say. I'm mindful of the fact that, that many of us sit in church, thank you, Brent, um, disconnected from the Christmas story because we're so, we're so far removed from the original events of the Christmas story. But here's the truth of the Savior's birth. Um, it's actually kind of a subversive story of an upside-down kingdom It's a story of promise and hope, of revolutionary love that that is still changing the world today. So what happened? What was um, once a time to celebrate the birth of the Savior? How did it turn into this season of stress and no parking at the mall and, and shopping lists? And when it's all over, it feels like many of us are just left with presents to return, huge debt loads to pay off into the next year. But worst of all, kind of this feeling that, that we somehow missed the purpose. What if, what if Christmas became a, this world-changing event again? And by, and by turning our focus back to the birth of Christ, what, what would happen to your family to our church, if this focus was celebrated in unabashed ways. I don't, I don't know if, if the kids these days are hip to uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special or not. I can tell you it was yearly viewing in the Ganyu household. Do you remember you know, the little decrepit tree that Charlie Brown ended up with and his frustration over the commercialization of Christmas. And, and in the midst of all that stress and disappointment, he yells out, does anybody remember what Christmas is all about? And Linus comes over to Charlie Brown and says, I know what it's all about. And uh, the lights go down and there's a single spotlight. And Linus then quotes the simple Christmas story from, from Luke 2. And the story of the Savior takes center stage. I just found out this year that Charles Schultz, the guy who drew Peanuts, had to fight the network, even back in the 1960s, to include that segment of scripture in the narrative, and he won, and the rest is history. So how do we get back to the, to the real reason for the season, if you will? How do we recalibrate our souls? An irony of ironies, why is this time of year when worshiping Jesus should be the easiest, usually the hardest? Uh, Here's what I think. When we understand Christmas more deeply, we will worship Christ more fully, unabashedly, 
Uh, maybe in the Christmas story today, you'll, you'll see with fresh eyes the, the visceral gut response from the historical people who lived this out 2,000 years ago. You'll see what happens when real people with real problems encounter the real God, Emmanuel, baby Jesus, God who is with us. And their unabashed worship, it, it's... It, it's It sprang from encountering this God in the flesh with such deep, authentic places in their heart. If you have your Bibles, uh, maybe your Bible is on your phone, um, just go to Matthew 1 and then get ready to go to, to Luke 1 and 2. By the way, the definition of unabashed is, is unashamed or unapologetic, certain of one's belief without any worry of criticism or embarrassment. That's the kind of worship that Jesus is worthy of. The birth, the birth of Jesus, I'm sorry, is just not on par with Rudolph and Frosty and Santa. I'm not talking about some sort of fuzzy sentimentality, you know, after watching Elf and uh, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, as we sing about roasting chestnuts. It's a, it's a season that ought to be filled with worshipful awe and wonder. And since I believe that worship is something sort of hardwired into the hearts of humans, even if the object of that worship is, is too often misplaced, let's look at some of the responses in Scripture to the birth of our Savior. And uh, for instance, how did, how did John respond? Well, John jumped. Uh, some of you may not know this, but, but John, the same John who we call John the Baptist, was second cousins with Jesus, born just a few months apart. And when Mary, the expecting mother of, of Jesus, went and stayed with her cousin Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, as soon as this pre-born John was in the same vicinity as this pre-born Jesus... This baby, this fetus, jumps. John does backflips in Elizabeth's tummy. And here's what Elizabeth says in Luke 1.44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I love that. Some miraculous biological response to the presence of Jesus. There, there's something about being in the presence of Jesus that ought to cause us to jump for joy, isn't there? Uh-oh, we're not going to turn into one of those churches, are we? Well, maybe not, but I'm, we're still Canadians after all, right? We're still alliance. I've, I've observed, you know, as a guy who was raised in the Pentecostal church and who is uh, now part of the alliance uh, movement, you know, the, the two different ways that groups of people pray. You know, the, the Pentecostal group responds in prayer by going, mm, yes, Lord, come on, come on, Lord, yes, mm, do it now, Lord. And the alliance group of people are like, mm, mm, mm. We're the mm de denomination. Uh, a, a, a few months ago, um, we had this vision talk and it was about the idea of worship. And there were a few folks in our midst who were so 
compelled, inspired to, to move and dance around and jump. And I'm sure there were moments of vulnerability for them and kind of self-awareness. But for them, this was, this was jumping for Jesus. This was a moment of unabashed worship. So I'll end each of these with a question. What's holding you back? What's holding us back from jumping with joy to be in the presence of Jesus? What about Mary? Mary chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. Mary, this poor teenage girl engaged to this poor carpenter named Joseph. And I love how God uses so-called nobodies, right, to do something great. Well, Mary magnified, it says, specifically, uh, she responded by breaking out into song. You, you thought that only happens on Broadway. Something really special needs to happen for someone to just break out into song. And Mary joins in this rich tradition of poets and prophets of the past who, who compose a song of devotion to the Lord just off the top of the dome. And, and here's what it says. Oh, how my soul magnifies or, or praises the Lord. How my soul or how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. And she goes on to prophesy what this Messiah will bring, salvation, healing, justice. And Mary's song is known as the Magnificant, which is Latin for, for magnify. You might think of it like, like this, of, of a magnifying glass that helps us see what is often unseen. And so Mary, Mary bursts out into unabashed praise, singing of God's attributes and his concern for the humble and the helpless and the hungry. Sometimes in worship, we'll encourage you or um, uh, uh, the congregation to take it upon themselves just to sing a new song to the Lord, you know? a brand new song that hadn't existed up until that moment. In our exuberance and joy, we would just sing out in unabandoned worship. And may I just point out that, that Mary refers to her coming child as her savior as well, meaning that she was a sinner just like us in need of a savior that only Jesus could provide. So my question, in what ways does your life magnify the Lord? Unabandonedly so. Maybe so that people might even see Jesus alive and at work in, in you. What did Joseph do? Well, Joseph obeyed. Joseph was uh, a carpenter who had a problem. His fiance is pregnant and he ain't the baby daddy. And what would have been the obvious response in that time, in that culture, was for him to flip out and expose Mary to public shame and punishment. And his more dignified plan was to end things quietly. 
And that's when this angel appears. And it's in a dream, and he tells Joseph not to break his pledge to Mary because her baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he's told in Matthew 121 that she will have a son and that Joseph is to give him the name Jesus, quote, because he will save his people from their sins. We've been in this uh, abide group uh, that's meeting midweek and it's been so good. And this group is talking about um, faith and risk what it takes to obey sometimes. It's not without a cost. One person heard from God to homeschool their kids for a season. And it was at a crucial time in their kids' lives. It it was very disruptive. There was pushback, but they obeyed. They obeyed. It cost something, but they obeyed. But this, this took a whole other level of unabandoned obedience, didn't it? And Joseph's, uh, Joseph immediately obeyed. That's what it says in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Look, the, the call of God isn't always easy or conventional, but it is always good and right. And God will give us everything that we need to follow if, if we're willing to obey. So my question, in what ways is the Lord calling you to obey him, particularly in this season? Um, Maybe it's part of this challenge to unhurry, to undistract, to unplug. Let's go back to the narrative in Luke 2, verse 13 to 14, and, and let's see how the angels responded. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. The angels explode with praise. Uh, there is now peace given to people who were previously at war with God, previously enemies of God. So my question, if the angels praised and gave glory to God, in what way can you do the same? The shepherds, what did they do? This is the group of people that the angels announced this good news to. Uh, What nighttime fireworks exploded in the evening sky. Who was this shown to? Was it in the town square of Jerusalem? Was it um, in front of Caesar? Was it in front of kings and queens and noblemen? You know, the one percenters, you could say? Nope. It was in front of a class of people that we don't even have a modern equivalent for. I was going to say, you know, maybe McDonald's workers, because all my three of my kids work there, and I'm allowed to say it. But no, worse than McDonald's workers. This group uh, was actually considered thieves by most people, unfit for polite society. I guess that's like McDonald's workers. Shepherds, (laughs) uneducated, no prospects, lived on the outskirts of town, were shunned by most people. Now, don't miss this. God loves the overlooked. He chose them 
of all the people to be some of the first to know the good news of our Savior's birth. And we read this in Luke 2.15, that they are very eager to see uh, the Savior. And, and it says, uh, let's put that verse up. Let's what? Let's do that again. Let's what? Go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know, the word go has become a pretty important word to me. And I think to the life of this church, it's one of three words that I'd I'd hope you will even memorize as it will remind you of why NAC exists, that we would know Jesus in all his goodness, that we would grow in authentic community with each other, and that we would, what? Go. Go and be the church. The God of the universe goes. You notice that? He leaves the comfort of heaven And he comes to us, he pursues us, he joins us, Emmanuel, God who is with us. And once we get a hold of that in our hearts, I I imagine it it should take everything in us not to go to him, to run to him. Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And then after seeing the Savior, Verse 17 tells us that they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. I mean, talk about going, being the church. They can't contain it. It's an unabandoned going. And so in in what ways do we need to confess our hesitancy to go? Our hesitancy not only to run to Jesus, but our hesitancy to go into the world and like the shepherds, spread the word. Some, uh, some days after Jesus was born, uh, Joseph and Mary took him to the temple to be dedicated. And there's this old man, old man Simeon. And he'd been waiting such a long time for, for this promised savior to be born. And Luke 2.26 tells us that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that he wouldn't die before seeing the Messiah himself. Uh, old man Simeon, he, he comes face to face with, with Jesus in the temple. And his identity is confirmed by the Spirit. And, and here's what verse 28 to 30 says. Simeon took him, Jesus, in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now Dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Talk about the ultimate bucket list. I just have one thing left to do, Lord. I just, I just want to see the Savior before I go. And God grants him that ultimate bucket list request. And what does he experience? It says you can now Dismiss your servant in peace. I'm at peace, Lord. I've, I've seen all I need to see. I've seen Jesus. The Hebrew word is, such, is so much more powerful. It's, it's shalom. And it means something so much more than, than an absence of conflict. Um, it's more than, you know, a peaceful, easy feeling, like the eagles sang about. It's so much deeper. Shalom means wholeness. It means completeness, health, 
safety, prosperity. Health, safety, and prosperity. Old man Simeon, like, sounds like he's on his, his last few days. Yep, but we're talking about ultimate, final health, safety, and prosperity. In fact, the word shalom carries with it this implication of, of permanence. Do you long for that kind of peace? I sure do. Simeon found it in the presence of Jesus, looking into the eyes of his Savior. Perhaps some of you listening today are, are holding on to life. You, you may just have a few short years left or, or less. You, you may have cancer or other health issues. Life as you know it is so uh, fragile. I want you to know that you can have peace. You can have shalom. You can know with certainty what your future holds. Can you imagine the kind of peace, contentment, shalom that can say, you can take me now, Lord. I'm good. I've seen Jesus. I've held him. And now I kind of like to have him hold me for the rest of eternity. Interesting, some of the last words Jesus would say before he left this earth was peace, shalom, I give to you. My peace, my shalom, I leave with you. Not the kind of fake peace the world leaves, leave I with you. I want to give you permanent, whole, complete, supernatural peace. So, Let not your heart be afraid. So my question is, where do you need the peace of Jesus today? He can give it to you. I I wish I had time to tell you about all the characters in this story, some of the other acts of unabandoned response to Jesus. I wish I had time to tell you how Anna witnessed, how how the Bible says Mary and Joseph marveled, uh, how Mary submitted Uh, how the wise men worshiped unabandonedly, unabashedly. Worship in this context literally means to uh, prostrate yourself, to lay oneself flat, face downward in reverence and submission, uh, to intensely adore. And so when we understand Christmas more deeply, I think we get a sense of how to worship more fully. Unabandoned worship. If you feel a tiny bit convicted, let's say, about the differential in your life versus how these real people responded in the presence of Jesus, how these historical people responded, how they magnified, obeyed, adored, ran, praised, witnessed, worshipped, Maybe it's okay for us to kind of sit in that discomfort for a little bit. You know, the tension of where we are and where we'd like to be. The tension of knowing with our mind that the Christmas story is beyond good news. It's the best news. And knowing we often don't respond that way. We don't even feel it as deeply. And and let's be honest, it's easy for us people, particularly us old timers, uh, people who have um, been, been in church for their whole life, 
to maybe take the story of Jesus for granted. Sometimes we're just caught up in the hurry and the distraction and the consumerism and the screens. But you know, it also struck me in reading these Christmas scriptures this week, how impossible it ought to be to stay the same when we encounter the Savior. It also seems that our adoration always leads to action. Worship leads to work. The story of Christmas is still unfolding and it still inspires a response. You know, there's some simple ways that we can respond this Christmas. And uh, maybe it's too obvious to even say out loud, but how about we tell the story of Christmas? Because it's our story to tell. And and you know what? Instead of getting all bent out of shape when our barista says, uh, happy holidays, let's remember that Christmas is, is our story to tell. It's not the culture's. And you can be creative in this even. When someone asks some small talk question like, are you ready for Christmas? As though, you know, Christmas cares if you're ready or not. Uh, I think what they mean is, are you done your shopping yet? Um, We might want to recapture what Christmas really means, maybe even by just planning some faith-type conversations. You might try saying something like, you know what, I'm I'm trying to get my heart ready. That may, that may elicit a response from them. Maybe it's too late for Christmas 2022, but is it time to sit down with your family and discuss how, how you're going to approach Christmas differently, manage your schedule differently, manage your expectations differently? Uh, how can we make the Christmas season a time where Jesus takes front and center? Maybe you'll respond with... Um, like the wise men did, with just unabandoned generosity. The, the Advent conspiracy movement puts it this way, that you would spend less and give more. The idea being that you can never get enough of what you don't need to make you happy. So instead of trying to outdo yourself for your circle of friends and family, you might maybe pull back a bit and, and practice worshipful generosity to organizations that really need it. We partner with some great folks here. TLC, uh, Bridge North, Serve the City, uh, Power at Work, NASE, our own Alliance uh, Global Advance Fund who spreads the gospel in some of the least reached places in the world. Uh, How about this? I I know I I railed on this last week, but Take a break from your phone sometime this holiday, from social media, from the infinite scroll. You don't need to see everyone's tree on Instagram, uh, everyone's posed Christmas moments. Uh, what you need is to experience your own Christmas and be fully present for your Christmas. How about this? Um, make the gathering of the saints part of your priority and routine. Look, you know I'm not legalistic about this. I mean, we don't take attendance here. We're not even having a service on on Christmas Day. But would you set aside time with your family um, for the high value of of gathering so that we can refocus, remind ourselves, recenter our hearts on the meaning of Christmas. So, So prioritize our Christmas Eve service. In fact, consider inviting someone it turns out they're actually open 
to church one of the few times in the calendar year where they're actually open to coming to church. And we're going we're gonna to tell the good news on the 24th. Finally, um, practice what the, what the band Wren Collective calls uh, the art of celebration. It's really the discipline of celebration that's modeled by Jesus. Intentional acts of delight and gratitude and feasting. It's really, I mean, that is life in the kingdom of God. There was a book called The Kingdom of God is a Party. And that is, that is the closest description, one word description, of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. So what I want us to do today is, is sing in response to what we've heard today, uh, what we've read this morning. When we understand Christmas more deeply, we will understand Christ more fully we will want to um, respond in unabandoned worship. The psalmist says this in Psalm 71, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. Maybe we'd even sing these, these kind of classic carols, not in a, in a rout way, but with, with full hearts, with a new awareness, uh, as though the birth of Jesus really did change everything.